We've been looking at the history of Abraham and how God responded to various troubles in Abraham's life by speaking his promises to him. These promises then were intended to comfort him and to strengthen his faith and to prepare him for the future. Now we want to look at those promises of God individually and see how they were fulfilled in Abraham's life in the history of Israel and even in the history of the New Testament. One of those promises was the promise of a numerous seed. I will multiply your seed like the stars of heaven and like the sand on the seashore. This was first fulfilled for Abraham in Exodus chapter 1. When Israel went down into Egypt uh, and lived there in Egypt for some hundreds of years, Israel multiplied there in Egypt until they did become as numerous as the stars in heaven. We find a strong emphasis on that in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 1. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. The verse says, at least in five different ways, that the people of Israel were very numerous. In verse 12, you find it again, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And again in verse 20, and the mid, uh, therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And you find this uh, repeated again and again throughout the Old Testament that God's people were very numerous. In Hebrews chapter 11 also there is reference to the fulfillment of this promise. That's in verse 12. Therefore, from one man, and that man is Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So there's, first of all, a fulfillment of this promise in the um, uh, numerousness of the uh, people of Israel from the time of Egypt onward. But we also find in the Old Testament some references to the future and this particular promise. For example, if you turn to Jeremiah 33, verse 22, God is talking there about his promises, and he refers specifically to this promise as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. So here God takes this promise which was made to Abraham, and he transfers it to David and also to the Levites. They will be as numerous as the host of heaven and as the sand of the sea. And also in Hosea chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 10, we find this, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, 
There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Now that word of God is um, in contrast to the word which he had spoken earlier in verses 8, 9, and 9. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhama, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will be your God. So and I will not be your God. So Lo-Ami means not my people, but here in this new promise he is saying, say to them, where to those who, of whom it was said, you are not my people, you are the sons of the living God. And this is particularly interesting because if you turn to Romans chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, you find that there is a fulfillment of this promise in the gathering in of the Gentiles. Verse 23 talks about God purposing to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. So uh, the Apostle Paul takes this promise, which was spoken originally through Hosea the prophet to Israel, uh, in contrast to the earlier threat of God's judgment, You are not my people, saying to them, You are my people, you are sons of the living God. And he says, this promise applies to the Gentiles. They were called Lo-Ami. They were not my people, but I will call them my people. And they will then be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. So this promise then carries over into the New Testament, but not to the Jews exclusively, but to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. God fulfilling that promise as he um, reveals that promise through the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. And so in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, you have another allusion to this prophecy, uh, this prophecy. Uh, John is here seeing a vision, and he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So John carries us all the way to the end of time and shows us this innumerable multitude standing before the throne of God and giving praise to him. And this multitude is from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. The Gentiles, then, are included in that promise of God made to Abraham in the uh, early chapters of the book of Genesis. The Apostle Paul says then in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, this about the Gentiles. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, 
and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, all those who are true believers are truly circumcised, not in their flesh, but in their heart, whether they are from the nation of the Jews or from the other nations of the world. And in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, the Apostle Paul does this same thing. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So the uncircumcised Gentiles are counted as the seed of Abraham, and they are part of that innumerable multitude, that multitude which is as innumerable as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Another um, part of the promises of God, and closely related to that promise, is that all clans of the earth or all nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham and in Sarah, that he will make them the father and mother of nations, or that in their seed all nations will be blessed. You find this uh, referred to again in Psalm 72, verses 11 and 17. Psalm 72 is about the blessings of the reign of God's anointed king. And ultimately, of course, that anointed king is our Lord Jesus Christ, who came from the Jews. And in verse 11, it says, All kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. And in verse 17, His name shall endure forever, his name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him, all nations shall call him blessed. And if we turn back again to the New Testament, this time to Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, notice what the apostle says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Another promise that God spoke to Abraham was, of course, the promise of the land. And that promise of the land to Abraham, I think, may be rooted, first of all, may be seen as rooted, first of all, as in God's promise to the uh, to Noah after the flood. After the flood, Noah inherited that new earth. And now, In Genesis chapters 12 and following, God comes to Abraham and he begins to promise him the land. 
And it is the land in which he is a sojourner, the land of Canaan. But the word that the uh, scriptures use for the land in Genesis uh for the promises to Abraham and throughout the Old Testament is the same as the word for the earth, which you find in many other places in the Old Testament. It's the same word, ha'aretz. So the the land of Israel then became for the nation of Israel a symbol of the new earth, which our Lord Jesus Christ is going to create in the last day. Now that promise that God spoke to Abraham that he would give to him the land was first fulfilled, of course, when Israel conquered the land in the time of Joshua and proceeding really all the way until the time of David. It was at the time of David that the full extent of the land promised to Abraham became the possession of the people of Israel. But this promise of the land is fulfilled for us in the inheritance of a place in the kingdom and church of God and in the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. And so we find throughout the Old, uh, the New Testament scriptures references to this idea. There are references, first of all, of course, to the fact that the uh, land for Israel meant heaven. You find it, for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt, that's Abraham, dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then if you go down to verse, verses 15 and 16, similar language, truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. And he's talking about the Old Testament saints. They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this land of Israel becomes symbolic of heaven and of the new heavens and the new earth which God will create in the last days. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Christ says in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about the fourth commandment, the fifth commandment, rather, honor your father and your mother. And he says of that commandment, it's the first commandment with promise that your days may be long on the earth. In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, that promise that promise that's attached to the fifth commandment is associated with the land of Israel but Paul takes it and he transfers it to the uh, earth itself and he means of course the new heavens and the new earth as the saints proceed 
with the preaching of the gospel throughout the New Testament. The earth is subdued by that preaching of the gospel, and ultimately that earth is renewed by the power of God, and they, the saints, inherit that earth and live forever then in the presence of God, in the heavenly creation. So that's another promise then that was made to Abraham that carries over from the Old Testament into the New Testament and is ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. Another promise that we find, of course, in the uh, various promises made to Abraham is the promise of a son. All these promises that we've been referring to, of course, uh, um, depended on the birth of Isaac, the promised son, of whom God had spoken to Abraham uh, numerous times in his promises. Isaac was that son in the first place. But then you find later on, in uh, Exodus, that God calls Israel his son. So the promise is fulfilled in Israel. And you find in Psalm 2 and in Psalm 89 that God says to his anointed king in Israel, the messianic king in Israel, that he is his son. And ultimately, therefore, this promise of God that he will give a son to Abraham was fulfilled by him in our Lord Jesus Christ, as Galatians 3 verse 16 teaches us. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. He is the center of all the promises of God. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And it's in him, then, that all of these things that God uh, spoke to Abraham and that we've been talking about come to pass. And they are fulfilled not only for the physical descendants of Abraham who believe, but for all the Gentiles who are also reckoned, then, as children of Abraham. Another promise that God spoke to Abraham was that kings would come from him. And of course, this promise was first fulfilled in David and Solomon. They were Old Testament kings, but they were typical of Christ himself. And Christ is, therefore, the ultimate king of whom God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17. And those then in the New Testament who are in Christ also become kings through him. In Revelation 1 verse 6, John says that Christ has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we are priests and kings under the anointing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we love so much that name Christians, though that name may have been applied to us in mockery in the early years of the church. Nevertheless, it has become an honorable title for us because it associates us with the anointing of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaches us that we are anointed with him to be prophets, priests, and kings 
to rule with him in the new heavens and the new earth, and to go forth with him in this New Testament period, conquering and to conquer by the gospel. So what we see then as we look at these promises of God to Abraham is that God is, uh, first of all, fulfilling those promises to Abraham in the Old Testament. And he's fulfilling them to Abraham in the Old Testament in a typical way in the nation of Israel. But then we find that there is a spiritual fulfillment of these promises in the New Testament. That these promises are fulfilled not just to uh, physical descendants of Abraham in the Old Testament, but that they are fulfilled to the spiritual descendants of Abraham in the New Testament, to the Gentiles. And then we find that ultimately these promises have their fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is, I think, a very important thing to notice in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 points us to these promises. Now I saw, John says there in the first few verses, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So you have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, the promise of the new Jerusalem, the promise of the bride of Christ, the promise of the tabernacle of God being with men and he dwelling among them and being their God. All those promises that were made to Abraham and to Israel in the Old Testament have their ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament. And this new Jerusalem then is described. It's described in terms uh, first of all, of the Israelites, of the nation of Israel, but it's described then also in terms of the uh, Gentiles. So you find um, in uh, verse 12 of Revelation 21 that the gates of this new city are inscribed with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The, the gates through which the people enter the city are inscribed with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. But you also find in the same place that the foundations of that city are the twelve apostles of the New Testament. You find that God and the Lamb are the temple and the light of that city, verses 22 and 23. You find that the nations of the saved walk in its light, verse 24. And then there is reference in verse chapter 22, verse 16, that uh, to Jesus, the root and offspring of David. So all these promises come to their fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, where Jews and Gentiles are one new man in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
as Ephesians 2 teaches us. There's continuity from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Continuity in the promises of God. The same promises that were made to Abraham are made to us. Those promises have not to do especially with a physical land of Israel and a physical seed, but with a spiritual land and a spiritual seed. And those promises ultimately have their fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. We need to see this continuity from Old Testament to New Testament into the new heavens and the new earth. And the best way to see it is to look at these promises of God and see how God fulfilled them in an ongoing way first in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament, and finally bringing them all to perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. May God bless you with his word.